Hello, and welcome to Evaluand, the podcast about the land of evaluation between you and me, your host, Dana Linnell Wanzer. This is the show where we interview people about any and all things evaluation related. So this week, we're starting a two or three part series on interpersonal skills, interpersonal effectiveness in evaluation. We're not sure just yet how many parts to the series there might be. Maybe it'll turn into a 10 part series. I don't know just yet. But today I am joined by Tiffany Smith and Libby Smith, who combined with me, all three of us have taught this class in the Masters of Science in Applied Psychology program here at University of Wisconsin-Stout called Interpersonal Effectiveness. So this is our third class in the evaluation sequence. All of the students who get the evaluation concentration take this class on interpersonal skills, interpersonal effectiveness in evaluation. So we're going to talk about our experience teaching this class, uh, what we've seen a little bit from our students, but we're going to have a second part later where we have some students come in and talk about their experiences taking the course. So first, though, let's talk about our experience as instructors. So Tiffany, Livy, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hey, thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to chat with you. I've been thinking about this podcast episode for a while now. I wish we had recorded it after I taught this the first time, like immediately after really kind of debrief, think through things, think through revisions and all that stuff. But I'm excited to teach, talk, you know, talk to you now and think about this when I eventually teach this again in the summer. But to start us off, I'd like to do some brief introductions, let the listeners know who you are if they're not familiar with you already. So can we start off with you, Tiffany, and you share who you are, what you're currently doing, and then a little bit about your relationship with this course. Thanks, Dana. Hello, my name's Tiffany Smith. I am at the University of North Carolina Greensboro. I have been down at the at UNCG for um, a little over two and a half years now. It feels like it's, wow, it's in some ways feels like time flies and in other ways feels like it's been a long time. But I am the senior evaluation specialist in our Office of Assessment Evaluation and Research Services, which means I both lead a number of evaluation and research projects and also mentor and facilitate learning around evaluation and research for our PhD and master's students in evaluation here at UNCG. Prior to that, um, and why I'm connected with Libby and Dana is because I was a tenure track faculty member at the University of Wisconsin Stout who taught in the evaluation master's master's degree. And when I first got there, the reason I'm a part of this conversation and a part of the movement, I would like to say, um, in thinking about interpersonal skills and evaluation is because I was taught a series of adult learning courses in reflective practice. And those courses in reflective practice that I was taught in grad school really gave me a lot of insight into being self-aware as it relates to being an evaluator and also being really intentional and purposeful in collaborative communication with others in order to collect good data, in order to get good stakeholder perspectives, all of the things, right? And so when I went to start teaching at UW-Stout, I actually talked to Libby about moving the interpersonal class into the evaluation degree. It was a, it was a standing class before, but we had never really used it in the capacity we were going to use it for, for the MSAP students. 
And so the reflective practice and interpersonal skills have a lot of connections to each other. And I'm sure we'll explore that further in this podcast, but I want to hand the baton over to Libby to say a little bit about herself. Oh, thank you, Tiffany. Yeah, I'll note on that that I don't think I would have called this class interpersonal effectiveness. And so that's sort of an artifact that we drag into this. Um, but yeah, it was a standing class within the psychology department. And that's why it gets gets called that I might have given it a different name, maybe, but, you know, that's, that's, that's where that comes from. So uh, anyhow, I'm Libby Smith. I'm the program director for the Masters of Science and Applied Psychology at UW-Stout. I do a lot of different things, and I normally don't try to, in these spaces, like, you know, over-bio myself in terms of, like, explaining everything, but I think a little bit of it is relevant. So I, I work with the graduate students in the program. I teach their seminars, and I taught the interpersonal effectiveness class in the summers of 2018 in 2019, so after Tiffany. I also work on a, in an office on campus called Catalyst, where I do program evaluation uh, with clients outside of the university. Uh, and then I'm also a facilitator and coach for a, a program that I call Being Human at Work, um, which has really been the extension of, of what I kind of learned in teaching these courses. So I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but um, really coming at this, like um, doing some of this work outside of Stout with individuals, kind of bringing interpersonal effectiveness to people later in their career uh, through some different avenues. So we can, I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but that's who I am. Well, thank you, Tiffany. Thank you, Libby. I'm curious, what would you have called this class, if not interpersonal effectiveness? Ooh, now you're really putting me on the spot coming up with a good name. Uh, yeah, I mean, because I think there's more important things than being effective, right? I mean, I guess it speaks to um, speaks to an, an audience, right? It's like it's clear what it's about. So it's not necessarily a bad name, but there's there's a piece there about like this humanizing, you know, humanizing of people in their work, allowing ourselves to be more human, be, you know, that it's a lot of this class is really about, as Tiffany said, developing self-awareness. Right. Um, also, I don't know that some of those things would fly as like course titles with the committees that have to improve them. So sometimes I get a little sort of like I hear interpersonal effectiveness and I want it to like, be bigger than that, like speak to something bigger than that. But also, it is clear. So I don't know if Tiffany has any thoughts on that. It is a hard question, Libby. Yeah. Um, a relational being would be a really interesting. <laughs> yeah, sure. Somebody will approve that at the <laughs> in committee, won't they? It sounds very close to a qual course. You know, you could kind of, kind of get it, sneak it in under a qual sounding name. Uh, on relational being, right? Uh, something like that. I don't yeah. know, but I totally agree with you, Libby. I think that uh, interpersonal effectiveness, it, it feels very like checkboxy almost. A little bit. And, and I think too, that interpersonal, even interpersonal skills, and this is something the three of us talk about quite a bit. And I know we, we didn't have on the plans to explicitly talk about the model that we've been working on, but trying to bring a frame to what do we even mean when we say interpersonal effectiveness? And I, what I often want to go to is like developing self-awareness, allowing yourself to be your full authentic human self in your work, right? So, and I don't know that interpersonal effectiveness always gets at that, but it's what we do. It makes sense to people, so it works. Well, I think it's kind of like, the, you know, the word competence, like we're never going to be fully competent ever, mm. right? It's, it's, a, it's a matter of degree and there's never a 100% competent, so therefore there's never 100% right. effective either. So, yeah, interesting. Well, 
It's one of those things, and this is, this is a little bit of an aside, but it feels really relevant, is as, as program director and advisor to the graduate students, this course is technically an elective, and I'm often having to do a little bit of, of advising around of, of some of our, um, well, say more extroverted students who actually come to the program with pretty decent interpersonal skills will often say, eh, I don't need that, I'm good. And we all need it, every single human being at every kind of like, stage of our lives if we're gonna you know do this work with with other people and we're gonna be in relation to people we, there's all growth we can get through it so I'm often having to convince those you know those students that like hey there's still a lot of value in this course for you so and those are the students who often make the most growth right mm -hmm. like they have some base skills to rely on and they can really you know expand once they do this material so it makes me think of the journal reflections. I, I think this comes from you, Tiffany. Um, one of the first journal reflections that they do is, you know, reflect on what you're, you think your current interpersonal skills are at. And nine times out of 10, they're like, I think I do a pretty good job. I could do a little better in this little area. It's like, okay, cool. And then their last journal, one of their last journal reflections is go back and read all your journals and, you know, tell me about the growth you've seen in yourself and all that stuff. And all of them were just like, wow, I didn't realize how much I had to learn and grow in this area. And it's just, it's kind of nice. Um, it's, it, it makes it hard to like, then, I don't know, it, it brings up this thought of like, then how do we ever measure this? Like, how do we ever like think about like, what does it mean to be interpersonally skilled? Because people don't know what it means yet, you know, like, and if you don't know what actual good interpersonal awareness and like reflective listening looks like, then yeah, you think you're a good listener until you realize, oh, no, I'm not. And I don't know, lots of thoughts there. <laughs> so I think that one of the things that stands out to me about what we've been talking about is the idea of intentionality. I think that it's, people often come into the course like we've been talking about thinking they already are good at being a people person or maybe perhaps they're extroverted, so that makes them good at communicating. That might also be a thing that people think. But I think that even with those people that actually do have really good natural skill sets around listening or around you know, um, facilitating conversation, it's those kind of practices that we didn't even realize were there that we can use to really gain a whole lot of power in conversation. And by power, I mean powerful like learning, powerful inquiry. So for example, you know, one of the things that I learned when I was uh, taking reflective practice course is the idea of asking back, right? And I, I would teach that in interpersonal every time I, every time I taught the class because like, can you say more about that is a really powerful question. You, 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 if you ask that question, you're not making assumptions about what that person is trying to say. Instead, you're letting it come from them. And it's a, it's a clarifier, right? It's an open-ended clarifier. And that's a very, very small example of the type of intentionality that you can get in this class. But like those tools and being intentional and using them is kind of the beauty of a lot of the things that we bring to this class. I mean, I know we haven't really talked about it much on here yet, but I mean, you think about reflective practice, the concept of reflective practice is intentional reflection on your action, period, right? When we think about mindfulness practices, which Libby has brought a lot more into, uh, into this course as she taught the class, it's, that's about being intentionally aware of who you are as a human, 
taking the steps back to breathe and be in yourself for a second, you know? And then I know that um, we're still kind of learning as we continue the journey, but even with, you know, Dana had to teach this class all online last year. That's intentionality. That's way more intentionality than we might've had to have had when we were in person. So I think that that's a really resonating word when it comes to what they gain, you know? Yeah, I think you, you raise a really good point, Tiffany, and, and you know, whether it's intentionality in those moments within communication or how we how we work with people. Um, you know, this is the the broader point that we're we're all kind of like speaking to. And the, the thing that I hear come up sometimes over in Twitter land and stuff is that, you know, people like to say that these skills can't be taught explicitly like you you can't teach someone these skills and and you know i wholeheartedly disagree with that um you know i think i think we absolutely have to teach these skills in, you know as, as part of a graduate program i think as evaluators we have to be working on these skills it's you know like i said earlier it's a it's a constant sort of lifelong process i think when we are not intentional about it uh we leave ourselves open to you know at best, developing bad habits, um, at best, just making assumptions, and, you know, at worst, really grounding ourselves in, you know, kind of archaic, you know, I guess not, I guess they're not archaic, because they're still very present with us, but, you know, grounded in, in white supremacy and patriarchy, those ways of doing things, and uh, we have to start seeing, seeing a different way to do things, and if we, if we want the world to change, we have to be the one, we have to change ourselves. Right. And so being explicit and uh, being clear about the our intentions behind this course, and that is to develop that sense of self-awareness, develop that sense of like presence. And I often talk about like uh, being able to um, respond to people rather than react. Right. We often, you know, it doesn't mean we can't have our emotional reactions, but we also don't have to get them all over everybody else. Right. And so much of um, sort of poor communication is these emotional reactions that we have as humans. It's very natural. But can we have that moment of pause in that have our emotional reaction? But in that moment of take that take that pause, take a breath and, and be intentional about our response to people. I wonder if one of the other reasons why it's constantly like, oh, it can't be explicitly taught is because it's not so much an evaluation skill as it is a, a human people skill that, you know, we're really fortunate to be able to teach in a graduate program and in our undergraduate program as well, but really should be taught throughout the life, right? It should be explicitly cultivated from childhood and through adulthood. Like it's not something like, okay, I've taken my interpersonal effectiveness class. I'm, I'm done. I'm good. I, I checked the box. Exactly, Tiffany. And so like perhaps part of, that's part of the tension people experience is like, uh, you know, that the, they, it's too soft or something well, but it's it's also hard to teach things that we don't have, right? Mm. And so I know one, one of your questions for us was, well, what does it take to teach this class? And, you know, I learned a lot through the process of teaching this class. But but not, not to get too political, but the reason, you know, the reasons why we need to teach this class, the reasons why people are maybe want to believe that we can't teach it explicitly is because our current modern culture, we, we are all sort of grounded in this, like, 
lack of self-worth you know we i talk a lot about imposter syndrome is is how it's often framed of somehow uh, we're not good enough or we don't know enough to do something you know this this work is the antidote to that right that that we you know are you know coming through k-12 education you're not really given any of these skills maybe maybe k-4 you still get some of them k k through four you're taught it's still it's okay to be human you get to have a nap time and you get to go out to the playground and you get to have snack time but after that you know there's not a lot of humanity in our workplaces there's not a lot of humanity in higher education i'd say and there, there are places where it is you know explicitly dehumanizing in some ways right and so you know i see this bringing this class into our graduate program and i think again having faculty like yourself dana who are thinking about you know trauma-informed ways to teach in the classroom we are trying to humanize this entire graduate program you know and then you know as we think about people who are then out in the field and already working and past their education you know there's a lot of unlearning that has to happen mm. you know we talked to you know thinking about being trauma-informed people had traumatic phd experiences you know that they were difficult you know and they were maybe not you know they didn't weren't allowed to be their full human selves in their phd program and like how can we get people back to a sort of healthier place of communicating and interacting with people this idea of humility and not making assumptions is really standing out to me a lot and I, it resonates a lot dana with what you said about well it's it's and libby what you've been talking about around this all being like continuous work that we're doing in in the face of some some kind of assumptions that we make as a society around individualism around capitalism you know white supremacy those sorts of things but when we think about evaluators specifically which dana talked about too like it's not just evaluators who need this but but I think it's evaluators who need this, guys. Like I, and I think in particular, <laughs> I think that researchers too, anybody who's trying to produce knowledge should really have a good grasp on humility and not making assumptions. Mm -hmm. um, and when you, when you throw that into the world of evaluation where grant funding is determined by where we shine our light, we have, to, we have to ask the right questions. We have to not assume what's going on. We have to be able to be humble in our inquiry and, and willing to flex with that too. Yeah. So I guess I, you know, I'm, I know that our direction is should evaluation explicitly teach interpersonal skills? The answer is yeah. And that comes under a different, a number of different forms, depending on where we look in evaluation, you know, cultural uh, responsiveness, uh, collaborative approaches to evaluation, utilization focus, even all about people. I don't know, I, it seems like, um, and qualitative research in particular, the idea of doing any sort of qualitative inquiry requires us to know who we are. Yeah, that, that, you know, your comments there just made me think of a whole bunch of different things, but I, I'm remembering a workshop that I was in, you know, where I don't, it, it was some sort of reflective practice workshop at an evaluation conference somewhere. I don't even remember exactly where it was. The, the people who were presenting really came at it from this point of like, we are the experts, right? 
as evaluators, we have to be the experts who walk in the room and hold it all together. And there's all sometimes this attitude of like, oh, our silly clients, they don't know anything, right? They, they, you know, like we can't count on them to know anything. And when you go into a relationship like that, assuming that that you know better than everyone or that you know that that only you can be counted on to do the right thing is you're really just like setting yourself up for failure and again I think a lot of that is grounded in imposter syndrome that you know is, is evaluators we're often walking we, we you know especially if you're a general like an independent practitioner you're a generalist you're walking into a lot of different contexts where you're not the expert Right. And so there just feels like to this need to like uh, insert our expertise. And, and then, you know, kind of the other side of that is we do see evaluation done kind of poorly sometimes. So when we we want to get in there and say that we can do it right. Right. And, and when we when we have to release those those attitudes. And again, I think explicitly teaching interpersonal skills is a way to unlearn those bad habits. Right. Of always setting yourself up as the expert. It goes back to what do you, what does it take to teach the course too, which we've already brought up a little bit. Mm. And like, I think you already brought up, Libby, it's like, you have to be willing to do the, the work. Mm-hmm. And I, through reflective practice class in grad school, did some of the work, but then there was so much more work to be done as I taught interpersonal, you know, thinking about how to bring people along in a journey of self-awareness, you really have to do a whole lot of inward looking. And a whole lot of understanding, honestly, the nature of knowledge and how we come to know each other relationally. So I don't know. I I think that when we think about like our evaluation schools across the country are going to implement some sort of course that gets them to learn interpersonal skills or humility or anything like that, communication skills, if we're all willing to do the work. Right. Well, I, I think... I think part of this isn't the right question is like, why aren't people doing this already? Well, I don't know about that. But I think a lot of the excuse is like, it's hard. And it's, uh, we've already got our full schedule, we have enough credits, we can't fit it in, whatever the excuse is. And I, I wonder if people need to be flipping the question on its head. It's like, what is the harm of not including the class in the program? Like, what is the harm of not... That explicitly teaching interpersonal skills because yeah I you know I think we do take it for granted that people will somehow through osmosis learn it through their uh workplace somehow but you know I remember having conversations like I had uh I told my advisor that like I really want to have I want to just sit in on meetings your first meetings with new clients and I didn't realize it at the time but the the real request was I'd like to see how you interpersonally interact with clients because I I don't have that experience yet I have haven't had to meet new clients or do any of that work and the the real ask was like how do you interpersonally relate with clients you know and how do you practice those listening skills how do you know what questions to ask how do you know like what is what are the cues what's your body language look like all that type of stuff and you know I got it I got it a little bit through osmosis but I think that explicit education would have been and and having the vocabulary for it because like the, the vocabulary didn't come until just now right of thinking of what that ask really was uh, we don't even have the vocabulary for it. 
Yeah. Well, I think the harm is clear, right? We right. kind of mentioned it, both Tiffany and I have alluded to it, is that if you don't explicitly teach it, you're just really leaving yourself open to like bad habits that are grounded in white supremacy, grounded in individualism, grounded in patriarchy, you know, all those things. So, the, you know, that to me is the harm and that's pretty harmful, right? I think the big thing is that we're talking about the necessarily relational perspective of you know, our, our presence in the world, I suppose. I mean, at the end of the day, I know that that's a really a big kind of move from what Libby just said, but I think that one of my values is in knowing that if it wasn't for other people, I wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And so why, why not extend that love and relationality explicitly? And, and do I always treat everybody with the best kindness? Do I always do that loving piece? No, but that's a, that's a constant, that's constantly learning and unlearning like Libby was already talking about. Unlearning what, what kind of negative behaviors I've been doing around perpetuating these kind of things and kind of taking a step back and taking a moment to say, I have, the, I have power in this situation to do it differently and an explicitly taught course on interpersonal skills, whatever we want to call it, relational being. (laughs) That's what you need for that. And it would be nice if K-12 education got us there or if our parents knew how to teach us interpersonal skills well on a a large scale, but we're the people who are going to change that, hopefully, Right. right? Yeah, I think you're taking this in a really important direction, Tiffany, that we should be more explicit about that. And in conference, AEA this year did a great, good job of reminding us that we need to let our work be grounded in love, right? If, uh, folks may probably remember the measuring love session if they attended AEA this year, that, that, that that's also somewhat of the challenge of, of sort of teaching this in the higher ed space, you know bringing concepts like love and spirituality and, you know, authenticity into the classroom is in some ways been uh, frowned upon, you know, in, in recent years, particularly around spirituality. And so, you know, I can, per, you know, personally speak from experience and again, kind of getting back to that question of like, well, how did I come to this work and how did I find my myself in it is, you know, I can kind of look back to my past and I was always kind of like moving around it, but felt this sort of like imposter syndrome of like, oh, there's not space for this work in higher ed like you know I need to be objective I need to you know everything needs to be evidence-based and we need to focus on methods and you know I definitely like you know moving into my career you know believed those things (laughs) you know and really you know I had to like make big sort of like shifts within myself to get to the point where I could like teach this class well right? That I wasn't just teaching from a book, but I was teaching from experience. And so I I had... I had been getting there as this class kind of came, you know, Tiffany, you made the decision to to leave Stout and go down to North Carolina. And it was just, you know, I had looked at the work that you had done and said, this was, this was too important, you know, to, to let it go with your, with your departure. And, you know, the, the few years that we got to work together and, and bringing more reflective practice into to my own work was, was, was instrumental for me, like being able to work with you. And then you turning that class over to me and me being able to take that where I had been doing a lot of sort of mindfulness work, yoga work, like uh, consciousness building, that sort of thing. And then taking the, the, the work you'd done in the class and then sort of adding this element of mindfulness, both spoke to my own personal growth, but then also 
being in the classroom and working with people who, while technically they were my students, there was a relational piece happening there too, where we were all growing together. Mm-hmm. And honestly, when I when I look out at higher ed, a lot of people aren't willing to be that vulnerable with their students, you know. And so there is an element of vulnerability in doing this with students, being willing to share about your own personal experience, that you didn't somehow land in this work as a perfect person with knowing all the answers, that, that you are still working on it. You know, kind of like you said, Tiffany, are you always acting with kindness and love, even though it's your value? No, it's a practice. It's a daily practice. So being in that space with those students and allowing myself to learn and grow with them, you know, yeah, we're kind of at different places in that journey, but really making myself vulnerable, really allowing myself to have that ongoing growth experience. And that's, that's still where I am. So I, you know, I taught the class for two years before I, you know, handed it off to Dana, but now we're doing these other things, you know, Dana and I taught some workshops this summer around it. I, I have people that we, we breathe together and kind of work on these issues of being a human at work, that there's all different places where we can apply this. But I talk a lot about how the foundation of my work now is cultivating self-love in myself and others, right? I have to come first. I have to take care of my own needs and make sure my worthiness and self-love is there. And then I can communicate that to my students. I can be an example of that. I can communicate that to my peers, my clients. And so simply by being in that work myself, it's transmitting that to the people around me by holding that space with them, All right? And so now we're getting a little bit off into the stuff that sometimes feels hard to bring into higher ed spaces. But I think if we don't sort of allow ourselves to be more human in these spaces, it's, it's dangerous territory, so. It's, it, it is, like I, people teach interpersonal skills at the undergrad level. Um, you know, we, I, I mean, Dana and I have both taught interpersonal skills at the undergrad level. It lives in different, different departments. It depends on where you go. But oftentimes when you find yourself in an interpersonal skills class or a communication class, it is very checkboxy. Mm-hmm. And that sh- you might learn some theory and maybe a little bit how to, about how to communicate when you leave that class, but you're not, you, that's not connecting it to your own identity as a human necessarily. I think you can do that and still do a great job at interpersonal, but I think you need to be the type of person that is willing to be in a lateral situation with these people. Yeah. To just go in and let the facilitation occur let the reflection occur and then when 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 the nuance of like learning happens like those minute like those mini moments in class where you're like oh my god they all just learned something about each other just on the basis of this conversation and i learned more about myself right that's just it's powerful and i think that it's it's totally not present in most education like libby was just talking about that's the best type of learning the best type well, I'm wondering, like, what other class would would make somebody be so vulnerable? Like, I, I can't think of any other class where I've been so, where I've disclosed to my students so much about who I am, um, tr- you know, trying to be, but it's interesting because then I'm also trying to maintain some boundaries a little bit because, and I think it's partly because of that's what higher education says, like, maintain your boundaries, you're the professor and, you know, you're Dr. Wanzer and I, I it's really hard to get on their not not get on their level but to like really relate with them and teach this course well if you're not disclosing if you're not being vulnerable if you're not 
you know, really getting on their level and, and, and sharing who you are as a person. Yeah, I, I, I want to explicitly say being vulnerable with your students does not mean not having boundaries. I think that's important to state that, you know, Brené Brown would have a lot of things to say about this, that you can be incredibly vulnerable and still maintain boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, the things that I choose, the things that I choose to share right. is, is, you know, where some of those boundaries come in. But at the same time, I think that the sort of like breaking down of that hierarchy of like, I'm your professor and I know everything. I'm the instructor here. You must listen to me. And getting, like you said, kind of, you know, on their level quote, you know, there's little air quotes going on there. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, it's it's part of it is the, the hierarchy, the power structures within higher ed are in some ways inherently dehumanizing and being on the same level is humanizing for people that they can see themselves in you they can see their potential growth in you they can see that it's something that yes you have to continue to practice that isn't they're just you know they will feel that they have so much more potential if you can be in it with them it goes back to that expertise piece mm-hmm. in a lot of ways because everybody in that room Every time I taught that class, even at the undergrad level, was an expert, but not in the way we talk about it. You know, like it's so powerful to think about lived experience as expertise. And as evaluators, that's super important. We've already kind of been talking about it. Like if you can't think about your client as an equal that may have very valuable things to give you in terms of how you should inquire for their program or project, then you're you're not measuring the appropriate thing more than likely. And if you are, are you actually conveying the appropriate thing to that client? I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can say that's true. You know, like I think that expertise is a, well, it's another way of saying patriarchy in some ways. Mm-hmm. One, one thing I have to say that's kind of connected, but it's, it's just resonating with me right now is like, we think about the nature of knowledge and how much the evaluation field has moved just in the past five years, I would say, or even year, 100%. I might even make yeah. the predict, uh, I would make the prediction right now that we've done a really interesting move just in the past year with AEA kind of explicitly recognizing some of these, some of these issues and that sort of thing. But like, we didn't, just a simple example is we didn't largely use R until very recently, right? Still people are struggling with that. I am struggling with that because I'm, I'm, you know, I use SPSS as a crutch all the time, right? I, it's the same with a whole lot of pieces of knowledge. And what I'm trying to say is that knowledge is moving very quickly. Mm-hmm. The way we inquire as evaluators is moving quite quickly. Our tools and methods and approaches, et cetera, are getting more and more and more complex. Yeah. The, the real thing that I think students should learn when they take a course like this is that humility around that piece. Mm-hmm. You have tools. Many of those tools will work. Some of them won't, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But your tool chest is kind of a qualitative way of figuring out where to, where to look the best for, for your particular situation. And so interpersonal class or, you know, relational humanness class... <laughs> Um, is is really a lot about being able to navigate that space. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you, you bring an important point about you know the change that we've seen in our field just in, in a few years. That, that we are going through this very transformative time, and and one of the the elements that 
that people I think pick up from this work and especially what I'm trying to do, not so much with the graduate students, but with practicing evaluators and other professionals is this idea of that we can be present with what is that we, you know, things are challenging right now. You know, we all have lived through 2020 here. And I think in the early days of 2021, we can see that maybe 2020 wasn't the problem, that uh, all the issues of 2020 are still here. And so, so there's just this uh, time of, of upheaval, of uncertainty. And th this work can help us to be more present with ourselves, to be more present with the people that we work with as we go through this time. Not that it solves it and not that it makes it, you know, all okay, but that we can, um, again, like I said earlier, kind of learn to uh, respond to these things rather than react to these things. And having, you know, bringing a sense of groundedness, centeredness to our work will help us navigate transformative times. Right. And we all talk about how, you know, when a lot of us talk about we want train, we want to bring about transformative change within organizations. And if you're going to bring about transformative change, that is going to be inherently uncomfortable for people. And so if you're going to guide people through transformative change, which, you know, even, even if you aren't framing your evaluation work that way, evaluation work should bring about change. Right. People don't love change and we have, you know, if you're going to be the person to guide people through that, you have to become, you know, develop a level of comfort with it, a level of being able to be with it and not, you know, kind of rooting yourself down so you can stand in those waves. So humility and presence. And asking tough questions. Yeah. And for me, it's been a lot of slowing down uh, of taking mm -hmm. that time to pause and Amen. reflect you know, re reject the white supremacist cultural component of um, always feeling the need to respond and respond quickly and urgently. And doing this work well requires slowing down. Like, I, I can't, like, like you said, react, but I need to figure out how to best respond. And it's that's still a learning curve of how to uh, shut up and yeah. listen a little better. Yeah, that's so that's so important. And I'm going to uh, reference a conversation I got to have yes, just yesterday with with Nikki Bowman. Um, and talking about, you know, you know, we, it's all well and good to have these ideals and these values and talk about how we want to be interdependent and we want to have our work grounded in love. And, you know, you know, you go about your work day to day, and that's often not the reality that we're encountering. And that was, you know, a really important point that she made. And I think, Dana, what you're saying is that we have to slow down is if we're going to like hold some of these things as values and, and like say that we want to work, do our work differently. The only way through that is to actually slow down and yeah. think about what we're doing and like pause and reflect. Because if we just keep going about business as normal and like you're just putting in another, you know, hour long Zoom call where you get on and you talk about the importance of interdependence and relational being and you haven't actually changed anything you know, what good is it, right? So that, you know, that's an incredibly important point is that slowing down is often the key to this work. And so, which, which makes me laugh a little bit about the conversation we were all having earlier about, do we teach this class in four weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks? You know, there's this idea of like, go, 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 you know. Um, but, but and, I, and I said that there was something to it being an intense experience that helps people transform. But, you know, slowing down is an important element. Yeah, there's something teaching at the undergraduate level when it became a 16 week course instead of the eight week course over summer, where I think things can just kind of 
get absorbed a little bit better, right? I think there's still that that tension and challenge that they experience as they're going through the course, but at least there's also the time for them to absorb things and reflect on things a little bit more by the end of the course. Whereas with, with the grad students, I mean, there's other issues going on. So who knows what if time was the issue, but like, you know, it was the middle of the George Floyd protests. It, uh, it was all online. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're trying to figure out how to do this online well. There were a lot of other challenging aspects, but that that was the biggest challenge they spoke of is like they wish they'd had more time to really like sit with the material before the end of the semester. Because, I mean, we all know what happens at the end of the semester. Like, it, that book is shut, you know? And then they might come up uh, maybe a little bit more unconsciously from there on out. But um, we often kind of just close that chapter and kind of move on. You know, now it's summer break. And then now it's the fall semester. And now it's thesis time. Like, and hopefully they come back to this class. Yeah. But if there were more time, like, I think it would really, like, they'd absorb it a lot better. Yeah, we've definitely had that debate, you know, I think between mostly the two of us, because we things we've thought about since Tiffany's, Tiffany's left the university. But one of the things I think is nice in terms of slowing down is the spaciousness that happens over summer. So being a summer course gives the students a little bit of, even if it's been quick, a little sense of spaciousness that they're maybe only in one other class and that they can kind of make it a little bit of the center of their work. Whereas if it was in a semester and you're trying to like hold all this, it's a lot to hold in one semester, but at the same time, could they be practicing these skills that they're learning in their other classes? So it's always fine in terms of finding the right fit within a graduate program, you're always kind of balancing these competing interests of, we've talked about too, it's in the, the summer between their two semester or two, two years of graduate school. This is a master's program. So, you know, that's where it has traditionally sat. We've talked about whether or not it needs to be in the first semester, you know, that like they need these skills right away. Um, so yeah, a lot of competing kind of, you know, some mm -hmm. in different interests to hold there. But I think, you know, again, the main point is, However, it's done being explicit, even, you know, I think even you, somebody alluded to this earlier, like, you know, even if you're not going to teach it in your grad, grad program as a standalone class, being really clear with the students that this is work they have to find a way to do, right? This is your professional development that needs to sit alongside your graduate program. So, and there's lots of resources out there to do it. And now I'm going to circle us right back around to where I wanted to go with this is like, giving students a frame. So like telling, you can't just tell them, oh, you have to go do this professional development to develop interpersonally. How do you give them a frame for doing that? And that's, you know, uh, this this model that I've kind of put out there and the two of you have been helping me to, to work on is, you know, the, the reason I came to that was, you know, thinking about the graduate students and this idea of like, oh, what does interpersonal effectiveness even mean? What is, what are interpersonal skills? And kind of setting that in a framework for them so that they can sort of make sense of it, of like, how do I actually work on this? What are the practices that I need to engage in to get better? So it makes me think with the slowing down conversation that perhaps having a standalone course isn't the best answer for everybody, right? That perhaps it is just being better and intentional and explicit about bringing it into your existing evaluation courses. Because even, and, and I can do a lot better with this, even in our um, two-part series where they first design their evaluation and then conduct their evaluation, I could be much more explicit about, you know, building stakeholder relationships and, and the, the interpersonal skills that really go into that. 
how to be a good, effective evaluation team because there is team conflict that arises. And this is where I think we had the conversation of like, I wish three uh, the, the interpersonal class was first because then, you know, at least they'd have those skills, that knowledge, that language to be able to work through those team dynamics. Mm-hmm. And just being able to relate with, to one another as a cohort, you know, that there's little things yeah. that come up and and they're trying to figure out who they are within this cohort and within the program and with their professors and perhaps at home. And there's a lot of stuff like this is why I'm just like, let's just do it first. First thing, like, like, let's get it in them. But um, I could be, you know, I could be doing that better. And that, I think, speaks to what everybody else could be doing is being intentional, explicit in their own at, within the confines of what they already have. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't. I like I and, and it kind of goes back to the first part of this conversation around what should it be called? And I honestly think that interpersonal effectiveness is a quote unquote fine, if you will, title for this class. But it's like fine in the kind of neutral and negative way, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that it's like maybe that's part of the deterrent from saying it should be standalone right like maybe it's bigger than interpersonal skills it's you know and we talked about that a little bit already but like I would have loved to have had more explicit conversations in my own graduate career around that exact thing that Dana brought up earlier which is like once you get to sit down in that chair with somebody you've never met before you know almost nothing about their program and you have to create something from literally nothing what, how do you start that conversation? And it's different every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are ways to do it really well, still figuring it out. You know, I mean, I think we all are in, a, in mm-hmm. some certain ways, but like, I think that taking the space around that and, and also taking the space around understanding, honestly, a philosophy of science comes up for me a lot when I think about this conversation, because it really is about understanding the nature of knowledge like this course for me and you know i'm my brain is crazy right now because i'm trying to develop a qualitative methods course for grad class but like i think that what i've learned in developing that class is that these are the tools i'm going to be talking about in qualitative they're just going to be talked about in a different way but i'm going to make them read reflective practice articles I'm going to make them think about what it means to truly listen to somebody i'm going to make them think about what and i say make it's fun um (laughs) I'm going to have them really reflect on what it means to qualitatively inquire, right? Like all of these skills are explicit, if, especially if we look at the qualitative side of things. So maybe the answer is yes, and it could look different depending on what, what uh, grad program you're in. But the answer really is they need to be talked about and the tools need to be presented and the self-awareness needs to happen. Yeah, and we could really go down a rabbit hole here, but you, sorry, Dana, we you bring up a really good point with the philosophy of science, though, and like I said, we could really go down a rabbit hole here, but when I when I listen particularly to the folks at the Equitable Evaluation Initiative, Geraldine Coffey, talk about how our, our, you know, doing this work around really understanding, you know, all of our various ologies, you know, we're, we get very, you know, in our master's program, especially we're focused on methodology often, but we have to think about axiology, ontology, epistemology, all those things, and that's, we're not doing that, you know, I mean, again, that's the implicit explicit thing, we are doing it but if we're not intentionally doing it we're, we're you know 
making a lot of assumptions. So, you know, that philosophy of science, you know, I, I think a little bit about this conversation that it feels like the same conversation we were having 10 years ago about teaching ethics in evaluation mm -hmm. or, you know, and so like, oh, do we embed it in every class? Do we have a standalone class? Da -da. You know, and now we're at this place with, with, with uh, you know, interpersonal skills and then I think there is we're gonna have to open this door to like you know having people understand the the, the underlying philosophies and this it ties into the interpersonal and the being human because it's like what are your values you know what are the values that underlie this work and we we talk about evaluation in you know we talk about values in evaluation but probably not enough Right. Like I, I often say that the most of our you know, communication problems that we run into, whether it's with clients or our coworkers, is because we've never explicitly had a conversation about our shared values or lack of shared values, as it might be. And so having those explicit conversations at the beginning of a project, you know, whether you call it group norming or whatever you want to talk about it, really what you're talking about there is your values. And the more explicit you can be about it the better off you're going to you're going to be right so what what are your values and, and a lot of people struggle with that question you know like really you know and that's something i've gotten a lot of clarity on over the last few years but it's you know we often just sort of adopt a set of, like this sort of like loose set of values in terms of what we can like say with clarity um, but i think that's another area where we have to you know start to explore more explicitly within evaluation is all the all the ologies the philosophy of knowledge so thanks for taking us there tiffany and i think the the values piece goes hand in hand with this though right i like i wonder if thinking about my own journey, like if I had tried to approach this in terms of like, what are my values before I taught this class and really thought explicitly about interpersonal skills and evaluation, I'm not sure I would have been able to get to the point I would have wanted to get to in that that journey of thinking about what are my values versus thinking about it now, I, I think I could, could approach that in a much better way. Like I, I have more of the tools at my disposal to think critically about what are my values? How do I want to be in relation with others? And how does that, how do I want that to affect my work? And how do I want my f work to reflect my values? So I kind of feels like that, like the one, one leads to the other. I'm not sure we could, we could have the values conversation without good interpersonal skills as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it, this is something that, you know, I bring up often kind of in some of the, the work I'm doing in the being human at work is that none of this work is done in a linear way, right? Is that, you know, especially as I think this is another kind of rabbit hole we could go down is like teaching this, this stuff to 22 year olds versus doing this work with 42 year olds, you know, is that there's, there's 42 year olds still doing the work, 52 year, you know, I'm, I'm nearly 50 and still doing this work, um, you know, and so like, that, that it's not linear, that we're in this spiral and that, it, that, you know, as you learn things, you know, it's gonna come back around and you're gonna react differently the next time and you're gonna learn something and you're gonna react differently the next time. And that, that you are in this spiral thing of having to revisit your values, having to revisit that those things will naturally change over time as you, you know, have different life experiences, so. And the fact that the word value is literally right in the profession, like literally, like I, I think that what what I what I feel about the explicitness of this class is around that, honestly, just like Dana was saying, it's the crux of what we're talking about. 
if you're going to be an evaluator, you should be pretty darn sure of how values work in that situation, because it's right there in the name, right? Like, and we, and that, that, that idea of assumed values, may, what I was thinking as soon as you were talking about it, I think it was Libby that said it, is like, if I have just kind of wishy-washy assumed values, when I get into a situation where I have to use those, it's going to be easier for me to say, well, I guess that wasn't my value today. You know, like, right. Like very much easier for you to compromise on what you would re what you would really want to hold true to if you haven't been explicit about those things. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a, maybe the, maybe evaluators need a whole class that uses these kind of pieces, right? Listening skills, assertion skills, conflict management skills, dealing with stakeholders, dealing with evaluation colleagues, but it's around values. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, and you say a whole class, but I'll make the pitch for the other thing that we talk about often is it's collaborative reflective practice, It is right? And so it's not necessarily getting into this standalone class and, you know, especially as you move into your career and like, you know, kind of being in a learning environment, but it's intentionally putting yourself in situations where you reflect with your evaluation peers or even not even evaluation peers but other people um, where you can you can look at these things and have that sort of growth experience that it does you know we can't rely on it you know like oh I'll, I'll do that in you know this four-week class that I take next year right it needs to be part of a you know a you know regular practice sustainability came up in my mind when we were talking about this earlier like what yeah. do we when we think about the explicit course that we've all taught like what what what, what practices have we done to ensure that they sustain that in themselves? And I feel like that's a really tough question that we don't have time to answer, but maybe, <laughs> maybe that's for next time when, when you talk to the students, Dana. Yeah, um, that's a great question for, you know, particularly, you know, Devin, who, you know, had the class a number of years ago now. What is he still doing that uh, is related to that class? And I, I feel pretty confident he would have some, some clear answers for that. And I think even in our own practice, just the three of us too, right? Like I think that um, building this space, you know, having having space to talk to other evaluators, which Dana does with this podcast, we're doing with Radical Reimagining, you know, giving yourself that those spaces and putting it in your calendar with the humans that you really find valuable to. And sometimes mm -hmm. those should be the critical friends that don't have the same values as you. Yeah. Um, if you're doing those sorts of things, then then you're you're kind of hopefully maintaining that critical reflective perspective on your work. Yeah. Yeah, you bring up a good point there, Tiffany, is that, you know, it's something I appreciate about working with you and all the conversations that we get to have around this is that while we have this really like common interest, like, I feel like we do think about it really differently. Like, I learn a lot from my conversations with you about this, that there are aspects of this that I've explored that I wouldn't have probably explored on my own if you weren't exploring it from your approach. And so having folks like yourself and Dana and Devin and, and, and other people who I'm doing this work with is, is so instrumental to my growth that I am never in this work alone. Yeah, I can't help but think that I, I would definitely not be here who I am today without the conversations and community that we've all had together. That this podcast, I, 
as we're recording, the episode's not out yet. It's going to come out by the time this podcast episode comes out. But I had a great conversation with Aisha Rios about all of this, mm-hmm. about how, in, in our case, we were talking about social justice evaluation, but to, to really ensure that we're uh, living our values and that we're doing this work the way we want to do this work, we have to do it in community with others. We have to intentionally cultivate and protect the space to be able to really think critically about all of this. And uh, so that's something I'm going to be working on a lot is uh, carving out time in my weekdays to reflect and and pause and slow down and, you know, stop doing and start thinking. We'll see how how well I do with all of that. But I, I think it's conversations like this that has made me a better person and a better evaluator. So I want to say thank you to both of you. That's awesome. I'm really looking forward to that episode with Aisha too. It's very good. I think we're at a good wrapping up point. We've had a lot of wonderful conversations and wow, we, we, we've talked about this multiple times. We've, we've had conversations about this topic so many times and every time we're like, <laughs> wow, we could sit here for hours and just keep talking. Yeah. But alas, there is a thing called time that we sometimes have to uh, abide by. <laughs> people don't want, people don't want to listen to us for that long. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Uh, so anything else that we didn't cover that anybody would like to share? We, we brought up a lot of the things I think we wanted to. So Libby, your breath work, your um, being human at work stuff, your wholehearted practice model. Uh, Tiffany, yeah. we've talked about reflective practice and, and thinking about the, the evolution of this course. Is there anything else that I missed that is really important that we share? I don't think we missed any of the key elements. You know, hopefully we can link to a few of these things in the show notes so that uh, people can can learn a little bit. I know we didn't really even dive into the model at all, which wasn't our, you know, our intention here today, uh, but people may have questions about that. I know Tiffany mentioned the, the radical reimagining, which is a reflective practice space that we cultivate. Um, you know, we'll definitely, um, you know, provide that, those, that information for people, so. I think one thing that stands out to me at this point is that, and and I try to impart this on my students when I teach classes, like it's about the doing. It's about the showing up and the doing of the thing. And that is true of reflective practice. That's why it's called reflective practice because it's about the practicing. That's how we learn, right? And it's also true about interpersonal communication. Like the more you do it, the more you intentionally think about those things, the better off you're going to be. And so, I don't know, that intention piece uh, really resonates to me as we kind of finish up this conversation. So I am going to do our wrap-up questions. And Livy, I'll start with you on this one. What's giving you life in evaluation right now? Mm, thank you. Um, one thing I want to make a nod to, I mentioned the conversation I had uh, just yesterday with Nikki Bowman. Um, I am a part of um, something that we're, we're just, I think, moving into 2021 calling uh, the Feminist Evaluation Generative Network. Um, it's a group of people who kind of had, had come together uh, initially around an issue of new directions of evaluation and wanting to put together a proposal around feminist issues and evaluation. We took, I, I was kind of, you know, at the helm of that maybe a year ago and uh, kind of had to do a reset because uh, we recognized that we were taking an approach that was really grounded in white supremacy um, and had to take a step back and, and, and do something different. So 
something really beautiful came out of that, that we have now a kind of group of people who comes together monthly. Um, there's now just emerging into 2021, Ali Lopez is uh, leading us in some work to now really move the NDP, NDE piece of it forward um, within that, that context that we've developed. We really spent a year, you know, focusing on those, those relationships, like how we, how we are together, what our vision is we're really again going through a values exercise which is where that conversation with nikki came in um i just feel so grateful to be in this work with with the, with that group of people much like i said like how tiffany you and, and, and dana have informed so much of, of my growth same thing with these folks like getting to be with you know video shankar uh nikki bowman uh like i said ali lopez i can't i can't even name all the people and i'm gonna feel bad for for missing people there um uh, but being being in community with those folks is is truly giving me life. It's funny because uh, my first episode was with Kathleen Dahl, who's also yeah. uh, I, she's yep. still involved with it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, and uh, that was the same thing that was. I think it was her response to what's giving her life as well was oh, that awesome. feminist NDE, and it's really cool to be able to hear uh, like the evolution of how that has shifted and changed mm-hmm. over the past year. And I hope I can get involved. And in, I'm it's in my calendar, but it's always at yeah. a bad time. So hopefully one day I can jump in on a call because it's really inspiring what what you all have been doing with that. Thank you. Tiffany, what else, what, what do you want to add? What's giving you life and evaluation right now? We've talked a little bit about this uh, today, but I think that what's giving me life and evaluation right now is that we are in a moment that there's been some really interesting adjustments. I, I don't want to say that we've done some real radical change because I don't want to be too, um, too hasty about this. But when we think about AEA 2020, um, the virtual experience, I honestly believe that I have never seen AEA be so true as it was last year. And that's only going to keep keep happening, I think. I don't think that anybody's uh, interested in uh, shutting up anytime soon around these topics. It's this idea, you know, AEA is 35 coming into this year. The, the conference theme is basically reflective practice. It's about meeting the moment and planning ahead. So we really need to know where we've been in order to know where we need to go. Um, Lots of reflection needs to happen. Lots of understanding, perhaps some of our not so good history, along with maybe some of our really good history, as we uh, decide what evidence to focus on as we collect data as evaluators moving forward. Yeah, I love that, Tiffany. I think some, I think thinking of it as some real seeds that we've planted in this last year and not getting ahead of ourselves and thinking like, oh, everything's different now, right? That we've really planted some important seeds and that like we have to be very, again, intentional about cultivating those, about giving them the love and attention and like, like growing the things that we want to grow and, you know, being real about this reckoning our country is going through, so... Right. The work will never be done. Electing somebody into the presidency is not going to change anything (laughs) for one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Tiffany, what's next for you? What's coming up? Well, what's next for me? Well, uh, Libby and Devin and I are going to be kind of re reloading or re um, restarting, perhaps, with our radical reimagining uh, blog and and get some podcast stuff going with that um, over the course of the year. 
I am super excited and inundated with this qualitative research course. Um, it is about 90% of the syllabus that I have for that course teaching for the first time this spring. And so I'm very excited to continue the conversation around building these skills and evaluators through that course. So those are a couple of things. I'm sure I'm missing things, but I'm looking forward to developing more plans as the year progresses. And I hope 2021 becomes a whole lot more positive than it has been. I hope so. Yeah. Libby? Yeah, I'll, I'll make a nod to what, what Tiffany mentioned of uh, kind of getting radical reimagining restarted for the year. We took a little pause kind of coming out of um, out of AEA, the conference, and, um, I, you know, a nod to your work here with, uh, with your podcast, Dana, and, and uh, like how much joy I've gotten from listening to people moving, you know, we've been doing with Radical Reimagining some uh, some videos and, and, and such, like putting things out on YouTube, but moving that also into a podcast space here in 2021, uh, just like more stuff out there to sort of enjoy. Ours will be a little more short format. That's that short format we were talking about, 10, yep. 15 minute, like little, uh, little conversations with people. So really excited about that, you know, kind of expanding the being human at work um, piece that I've been doing too, with breath work and, and working with people on uh, kind of integrating their personal and professional selves. Uh, so I have lots of lots of kind of things planned for that in 2021. Awesome. Olivia, how can people best get in contact with you? Uh, best way to learn a little bit more about my work is uh, my website, workwithlibby.com. Um, you can, there's ways on the website to get in touch with me and short of you know, kind of spelling out a day, an email address here, that is the best way, best way to go, workwithlibby.com. Thank you. And Tiffany? I'm sure you can find my um, my uh, current work on the UNCG website, although I'm certain that it's not as current as anybody would like it to be. You all know how websites are. <laughs> um, but also at Tiffany7001 on Twitter. Um, and I know Libby's got a Twitter handle too. I'm sure it'll be posted. At work with Libby. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you both. I had a lovely time thinking about this course and I've got a lot to think about for the next iteration. What year, let's see, when did it start? 2015? So we're going into the sixth time it's being taught, sixth, seventh time it's being taught Yeah. for the graduate students. It's exciting. That is exciting. I'm excited to see what you have, what you have planned for it. So I think you know it's in, know it's in good hands. I hope you've enjoyed this episode please visit the podcast website at evaluland.fireside.fm where you can subscribe to get notified of new episodes and contact us with your questions, comments, or suggestions. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, this has been Evaluland.